welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Christian Andrada. Christian is a Salesforce CTA and the head of Salesforce Advisory Services for Cloud Gaia in Barcelona. Christian started his career as a Java developer, so we explore what first attracted him into the Salesforce space, what experience he could lean on to make the transition, and what he needed to learn. Christian has been with Cloud Gaia for over six years, so we discuss why he has stayed and how he has benefited from the consistency of working for one partner. Over the years, Christian has performed several roles, so we unpick his journey, including understanding the differences between a solution architect and technical architect role. Finally, Christian talks us through his Salesforce CTA journey, what got him started, what it was like preparing with a newborn baby, advice for the review board, and what it meant for him to pass and fulfill such a significant achievement while putting South America on the map. I hope you enjoy the episode. Christian, thank you for joining me. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for the space. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about your journey and um, obviously recently hit the uh, the major achievement of becoming a CTA. So we're going to unpack how you got there. I want to start and look at your early career because I know you started as a Java developer and then moved into Salesforce. I think we're short of developers in the market. Like I'd love to see more people come into the ecosystem from other technologies. And I think back then when you made that move, it wasn't maybe as popular that coming into the Salesforce ecosystem wasn't as popular for a Java developer as perhaps it is today. So what was it that encouraged you to do that? Yeah, I mean, being 100% honest, I took the train back from the university with one of my partners here in Cloud Gaia, Julio, right? So he was pursuing me, right, to try to join uh, his new company, right, that was Cloud Gaia at, back in time. So yeah, I started reading about Salesforce, about what Salesforce did and how Salesforce was really, let's say, huge at that point in time. Also, it was 2016 still, right? So Salesforce was, a, let's say, a more mature company, like in early 20, 2010, I would say, right? So yeah, I really like it. For me, the switch from Java to Salesforce doesn't, let's say, feel like really awkward because again, Apex is really similar to Java, right? So I really like it, Salesforce. I give it a try. I joined Cloudgaia, right? I stay in Cloudgaia a lot of time because I also really like the culture of Cloudgaia, how it was presented to me. I really like it. So I say, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give it also Salesforce a try, right? Both Salesforce culture and Cloudgaia are really aligned. So I try to give it a try and I start liking it. Yeah, nice. So were there any, because I know when you're coming from a Java background, sometimes people see back then, especially Salesforce as not so much of a, a hardcore coding role. Did you have any kind of reservations? You, you mentioned you liked it, but were there any like reservations around how much coding you would get to do when you came into the Salesforce ecosystem? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually, because most of the, let's say, the native developers, Java developers, C Sharp developers, C++ developers back in time, right? We were really used to do everything, but in Safer you have like a platform, right? And the platform supports you as a developer. So you can, for instance, do some stuff with configuration that for me was really mind-blowing. Okay, this was a full class back in Java, but in Safer it's just point-and-click configuration. 
Uh, yeah, some people get a bit scared, right? Because they are really, okay, okay, but I really want to code, right? I don't want to be like doing configuration stuff or running work, but you're really used to it. And when you start understanding Apex, right? And the difference between Apex and Java, you need to do some plain queries in, in Apex, for instance. You are going to be throwing a query directly in Apex. In Java, you have the data access object. So there are some differences. You need to get used to it also, for sure, the governance limits. So you are used to do whatever you want in Java. Of course, you have the heap size and all, all things you need to consider. But in Salesforce, you are really restricted and it is like more in your face, right? Okay, one-on-one queries, you're not going to be able to proceed, right? So yeah, it was some kind of a learning process, but I really enjoy how it was presented because, again, my fight for isn't that hard as it should. If you are a season or let's say you are a semi-senior plus Java developer, it shouldn't be that hard for you. Mm-hmm. So what can a good Java developer bring from their Java development experience into Salesforce to make them a good Salesforce developer? Yeah, actually, the main key feature is to try to get really used to uh, object-oriented programming, right? As Java, because Salesforce is really uh, object-oriented programming also with all the data model and stuff, right? So this is, for me, the key. Then if you are used to manage, let's say, maps, lists, and sets that are really in the core of Salesforce, you're probably going to be doing fine because otherwise, again, the, the languages are really similar in a lot of things, right? And um, in the way they are structured languages. So yeah, if you are also used to GSP, you are going to be used to Visual for Pages, right? So it has similarities. So it's really easy, right, to make the switch. In fact, my first Salesforce project was one week after I have the, the training with Gaia. I, we needed a developer at that point in time. As you mentioned, it was really weird to have Salesforce developers back in time. And I jumped into the project and I, I was learning as I was doing it. So my premise here is also, if you are a good developer, one technology, you're probably going to be a good developer in another technology, as long as they are similar, again. So what, what about now? Because obviously, um, so Visual Force pages obviously aren't the in thing anymore and you've got Lightning Web Components. And do you think it would have been an as easy a transition for you if you were doing it now? No, no, for sure. Because, I mean, I was used to JavaScript. And to jQuery about back in time when I was developing and Strats and Spring in Java that are the framework that are going to throw what you have, let's say, in the back end to the front end. But language component is, let's say, more React, more like Angular, let's say, like. So I have experience with Angular, but it was really little experience. So I probably needed to invest much more time in learning how to code LWC. Mm-hmm. So you obviously started your career as a developer. When you came into the Salesforce ecosystem, how did you see that evolving? Like, did you have a really clear path and progression that you wanted to take? And, and if so, how did you plan each step? I was first assigned in Cloud Gaia to a customer. Back in time, that customer wanted all the developers from vendors to be certified. So we have been done all the certifications and we get, okay, we need to get certified. And I started studying for PD1, platform developer one. Uh, I passed the exam first try, and I think it was six months after I joined uh, Salesforce, right? Uh, sorry, Logaya. And afterwards, I really liked right, the certifications and how you were learning with the certification. And when I, my partners at Logaya remember that I finished the first certification and I mentioned, okay, I want to go for the CTA path, right? The journey to CTA. So it was just starting with Salesforce, right? But I really liked the way it was focused in the learning. I also really liked Trailhead and everything you have there, you can study. You can practice by yourself. You can be a self-learner. For me, that was key because I was trying to spare time whenever possible to try to learn stuff. Did that answer your question or is more about what I am doing right now? Yeah, no, like just in, obviously in terms of the certifications were leading you down that path of wanting to be a CTA, but was it obvious that there was a clear progression from like developer to architect in your role? Like, was it clear that if you then became a technical lead and then those steps would eventually lead you to be an architect? 
Yeah, actually, I mean, the, the path was clear from the sales for developer to, let's say, lead developer or tech lead, as you mentioned. So this is what happened in the customer I was, let's say, assigned. But then it was, let's say, depending on the person itself. In my case, I really like to go to all the architecture stuff. So a position opening the customer on solution architect. I was passing the application architect certification at that point in time. So I, we suggested uh, me to be the solution architect. I started gaining experience because the customer really liked how it works, right? So, yeah, for me, I really like the solution architect path and also the technical architect path. So, yeah, I have the possibility to work on both, being a solution architect and a technical architect. Once I was a technical architect, I was 100% convinced that I wanted to go for the CTA, right? And I started to put focus on the other part of the, you know, the pyramid, right, on the architect credential. So what, because you've mentioned system architect and, sorry, solution architect and technical architect. And I think sometimes, like when I first started recruiting in the ecosystem seven years ago, they were quite clearly like separated. One was seen as more of like a functional architect, the solution architect. The other one was um, more technical, right? But now I see technical architects being called solution architects. And I think with the certified technical architect certification, it kind of blurs things a little bit because that isn't just for technical people, but everyone's kind of aiming for that goal. So how do you separate those two roles? How, what would you say is the difference between a solution architect and a technical architect? Yeah, you made a really good explanation, right? The solution architect usually is the more business oriented, more functional thing. Let's say it's more focused on user stories on assigned to a project probably, right? Inside the customer trying to develop that product and that project and trying to make a good solution on the sale for platform. The technical architect for me is more oriented on the platform itself, right? So it's more in the integration specification, platform limits, platform health, large data volumes, right? Security, governance on how we are going to use in the platform. But you're right about CTA. CTA for me, it's really solution heavy, right? So you need to be really able to pull out solutions. So uh, nowadays I will say if a good technical architect can also do the solution architect stuff most of the time, but not all the solution architects can do the technical architect stuff, right? So as you mentioned, it's more functional, it's more business oriented. So yeah, the TA, at least on the CTA, can also do the solution architect stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And one thing that interests me about your career is ever since you came into the Salesforce ecosystem, you've stayed with one company, which I think is quite rare, right? We don't see people staying with one company for so long because people tend to, you know, with inflated salaries or, you know, opportunities to to gain exposure to different things. So what have they done as a business to keep you engaged and keep you happy? First of all, I really love Claude Gaia since, let's say, it was low at first sight because uh, Claude Gaia's culture and people, for me, was the best at that point in time. And it also evolved until, day of, until today, right? So I ever worked with, and the leadership tried to be there for every employee, right, when they need it. So our CEO, for instance, Nicolas Orzabal, once said that when he, this is a quote by him, right? When I founded Claude Gaia, I decided that I want to build a company where I would love to work when I was a young professional. And it's 100%, right? It really promotes the employee, right, to be happy. We are uh, result-oriented, right? We don't want to be, let's say, okay, he needs to be sit on his desk from 9 to 6 at the evening. You can be working flexible. We, we, now we have the work my way. We can work whenever we want. Let's say if, if I am based here in Barcelona, I can go, for instance, to, let's say, New York. And if I am trying to work in the Barcelona hours, it's fine, right? And if, if I can try to be there when the customer needs, etc. It's going to be okay because that's kind of flexibility that Claude Gaia is offering and I really like it. And also the, all the, let's say the directors are really honest, right? And they really try to pursue this perfect company they wanted when they were younger. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of environment that I hear from people every day that they want to work in, especially that flexibility, like not to be tied to your desk, but to be tied to an outcome. So your job is to deliver this. As long as you deliver that, you can do it how and when when you want, as long as obviously the outcome is right for the customer and the business. So you mentioned that after having sat the platform developer one, you wanted to be a CTA, but when did that path really become a bit more serious in that it was going to be something you would pursue? And why was it important to you as well? Yeah, I would say three key, let's say, events in my life. First of all, the first certification, as I, as I mentioned to you, I realized about the Salesforce CTA journey and I tried to, okay, I'm going to try to follow this, but this is like, say, like a long-term plan. Then when I was studying for Platform Developer 2, I think I was one year and a half in Salesforce, Don Robbins visited us as a guest at Colgaia office and he mentioned the importance of certification and especially CTA. So really, really, really encouraged me, okay, I need to go for the CTA. And he also mentioned that Salesforce is a huge elephant with like puzzle, uh, let's say, figures. And it's going to be growing immensely, at, in, let's say, in the time. And for sure, that's going to be what happened, right? When the CTA was back in the day in 2016, was not the CTA that is today. Because as you know, the exam has been evolving, right, in time. And the amount of content that is going into the exam is growing each day, right? So yeah, lastly, I was working as a technical architect at the customer. I finished the system architect, the application architect, and I say, okay, I need to round my knowledge. I'm going to go for Heroku certification. I'm going to go for field service lining, for CPQ, for marketing cloud, because you need to be really well-rounded. It's not only core. You need to also know about other platforms when going through the CTA. And then it's when I started, right? I asked my company to pay me the 601. That is the introduction, let's say, for the CTA. It's going to tell you how the exam is going to be and what to focus on. And then I started to get used to it. So I think it was late 2020 when I started with the journey. So it was almost two years of study. Let's say I started more, let's say, intensively uh, on the last six months, seven months, right? This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy, helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA, then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. So was that the point you engaged with Flow Republic the last six months? Flow Republic was in November 2021, yes. So when you, because I know an early part of the, the assessment with Seb and the, the team there is, is understanding your gaps and that gap analysis. So what were your gaps and, and where did you initially find that, you, you know, you needed to really upskill or, or evolve your skill set to be ready? Yeah, I mean, I have some, some gaps. I would say mainly, let's say, on identity management, some things on large data volumes, because I wasn't really used to it as a, as a technical architect, because as you know, you're the customer, the customer has issues, but it doesn't have all the issues, right? So I was used more to working with security, working with governance, right? And working with integrations. But the data, large data volumes, and all the part of that kind of features wasn't really inside me, I would say, at that point in time. And also one of the things that Seb mentioned is that the QA, how I was handling the pressure in the Q&A, right? So I tried to manage that. He really liked to focus on mindfulness, right? And try to be really ready for the exam. I, this is something I did before the board, right? So you need to be really ready. You need to be on a, on a good mindset. And you need to trust yourself, right? Because at first I was like throwing my solution through the window whenever I got challenged. I remember my first mock with Seb. 
But afterwards, I, I learned how to try to, okay, I, I'm going to hold my ground here. I'm going to try to defend my solution, right? So yeah, this is how I try to manage it. Yeah, nice. I can sympathize with this because I have one, I wouldn't class her as a newborn any longer, um, but I have a, a young daughter. And I know that as you were preparing for the review board, you also had a newborn. So that's a different level of stress and uh, obviously excitement, but lots of sleepless nights. And yeah, trying to manage home life and also a really stressful process of going through the review board. How did you kind of match that all together and make sure that you were ready to sit the review board? Actually, that's a really good point. It was all excellent communication with my wife. Uh, we planned together my study sessions. So she was involved right in my schedule. So, okay, I need to study. Uh, so you need to be aware I'm going to be studying, right? So she was, let's say, part of my plan all the time. My time at work, my time with the baby. And we were there for each other, I would say, right? When we need. So this for me was the key. Good communication with my wife. My wife tried to say, okay, I need to do a full mock today. So I can't have the baby. And when I wasn't doing mocks and stuff, I tried to take the baby. So yeah, it was everything I can, I can ask for because she was really there for me when I needed. Yeah, it must have been a crazy time. And and then in the build-up, so you're fast approaching the review board. I know you mentioned mindfulness. And um, having spoken to you before, I think you said the last month was really around making sure you're ready from a mindfulness perspective and, and that you're you're not overloading at that stage. So how did you manage that last kind of period before the review board in terms of just making sure you were ready and that you weren't doing the wrong things at the wrong time? So that pressure is coming, but I, I will say that I try to really focus on the exam, that was one of my, my key things. I also, for sure, as at home here with my wife, I say, okay, I need to be really focused now because it's going to be the last part of the trip. I am I am really good at self-motivating myself. So I, if I am in bad mood, I can try to shift it easily, right? I really like listening to music, go for a walk, right? So I try to be in this state as much as I can, right? So I also have three mocks, uh, one with the, a different group of people, uh, one with two CTAs that helped me right on the last on the last mocks to get that valuable feedback, and I also plan ahead and try to relax. So the last 15 days before the board, one week I was uh, I was went on holiday, so I was just reading stuff. Let's say I'm going to read the single sign-on flows, I'm going to read security stuff. I got I was I was reading. I wasn't doing any mock, and I did my last mock. I think almost one week before the board. When I came back from holiday, I did one, did one mock to see if I am still in the zone, right? In the speed and, and how I was handling things. And yeah, I have a really good feedback. So yeah, some people say you, you don't need to do a mock close to the exam because you, you can get your confidence destroyed. Bad feedback before the exam, you are going to, let's say it wasn't really good. It was okay, maybe. You might start overthinking, okay, I, I need to do better to pass the CTA. And you that's a lot of stress in your mind and you need to be really focused, right? So for instance, the day before the war, I was really relaxed, trying to be out of the exam. I don't want to be thinking in the exam. I was listening to music. I really like rock and roll. So I was with rock and roll. I was looking for some concerts there on, on TV. I was going for a walk in the mountains here near my home. So yeah, that was what I tried to do. And so I was in full mindfulness state and fully ready and with all the energy to the board because it's a really long exam. For me, it took almost eight hours. So I started at four in the afternoon. So it's 16 in the afternoon and I finish almost at 12, right? Midnight. So it's a long, really long exam because you have the dead times in the middle, right? The CTAs need to shine. So you need to be really ready. You need to be on the zone to give your 100% for sure. So was that on video? Yes, yes. It was on video, yeah. So obviously you'd prepared really well in, in getting your mind in the right space, but can you remember how you felt the moment you logged in for the first time? Yes, it was really a mix of emotion, but my, my feeling was I am here. I spent more than one year studying for this 
I have to do it. Come on. I mean, uh, it was like I tried to empower myself. This is the time. I need to do it. I know how to do it. And I try to also think it as a training. Okay, I'm doing a mock. Come on, let's relax. I'm doing a mock. I'm going to be doing all I am used to do. Because if you start uh, twisting your mind, this is not going to really help. Right? You need to be like on the zone. Okay, I'm going to do a mock. Doing what I am used to do because I did like almost 35 mocks. So... I am used to doing it and I try to do the same thing process, try to follow the same approach, try to do the same things. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, let's say the most nervous part was when I was, uh, when the CTA joins, right? The free chat sets I need to present. And the first two minutes, I was a bit choky, I would say. It's normal, I think, because you are overthinking, okay, I need to memorize a lot of the speech because you have 45 minutes. So you need to be really sharp. You cannot be over speaking. Uh, but after that, when I get a bit more loose, I started, let's say, speaking more fluently. Um, yeah, everything went good. In QA, I was more relaxed because I was prepared for my solution to have flaws. So, yeah, this is the thing I was going to ask. It's like, because a lot of people think in the Q&A, they have to know the answer to everything. What's your take on that? Because I think naturally you think if you don't know something, then you fail, right? Like that's what you're there to be able to answer all of the questions. But I understand like you need to be open to not knowing the answer. Yeah, I mean, one one of my strategies was to, when I, I really don't know or I have doubts and I know it's going to take me time to try to rethink or explain, don't waste your brain on that. Try to say, okay, this is my understanding of how it works. Maybe I am wrong, but you don't need to be lying to the judges because if you lie, you know that lying is a huge uh, weight on your back, right? So if you are lying, they start pushing you there and you're going to be exposed and you're going to be wasting like maybe five to 10 minutes of Q&A and you're not going to achieve anything, right? Because you're lying. So you need to really learn. So this is why practice is really important. Which question you can try to pass, where you are in a, in a bad zone, so you're going to take you a while to turn around, and which question you need to really fight for because you have the knowledge, you have the experience, and you have the, let's say, the tools to try to overcome that challenge, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I, I, it's very similar to like an interview, like a job interview, because I always say to people, if you don't know the answer, be honest, but explain what you would do to find out the answer or like just don't pretend you know the answer if you don't because it looks worse right if you give the wrong answer but say it confidently then people make the assumption that you've guessed or so yeah that's that's really interesting and and i think that's really valuable for people because a lot of people going if they don't have a flow republic or someone to guide them they would be very i guess nervous at that stage where they don't know the answer to something i totally agree again i was prepared for my solution to have flaws so, okay, if they are going to find anything that is going to be wrong, it's fine because I'm not going to be able to do this perfectly in half hours. So something that is really important also is to try to ask if you actually solve the question. Did that answer your question, right? It's like a conversation for me. It's not like they are asking you and you need to re reply. It's like a conversation between professionals. So if you took it like that way, it's going to be much, let's say, easier for you to be on the same page. And you can also ask them, are you referring to... Right, so you can ask them. They are humans. They also be on your side at one point in time because they are free CTAs. You need to be open also to change your solution. I heard of people that they don't really. I mean, for sure, if your solution is fine and you can fight for, you need to fight for. But if you are seeing that this doesn't have any future, okay, I recognize this is not the right the right way. I'm going to switch my solution to this, this, and this because this and this and this. Okay, and maybe that your solution is fine, right? Maybe you have a follow-up question, right? But for me, flexibility is the key in the Q&A. You need to be flexible also. Right? You, need, you don't need to be, okay, yes, I know this. I need to say everything I know. Because for sure, as I mentioned, one of the judges is going to be an expert on one of the domains. 
and they are going to start pushing you. And if you are not sure, you can have some issues. And it could be that, I guess. But what was the best piece of advice you got in the preparation? And if you prepared again, would you do anything differently? Actually, let's say try to stick to my hands was one of the best advice I get. I think that both Shohan has said like to improve my weakest things, like handling Q&A, as I mentioned before, and overthinking solutions. I am a computer system engineer also, right? So I really like to think in all the outcomes. I have a lot of partners that study with me, and we are always doing the same, trying to overthink a bit. You need to be more, let's say, you don't have time here, right? So you need to be straightforward. Okay, this is one solution. It works. I know it's a best in slot. Go ahead. And then you, you need to have some plan B, right? So this is why practice and having, let's say, solution templates with different outcomes. Let's say I'm going to have this requirement. I'm going to have this solution based on the lot. What happens if I change my assumptions? I have B and C, right? So this thought process really helped me. And this is something Shohan and Seb from Florida Republic really, really like. I mean, we were doing with the guys, but they also proposed to try to improve, let's say, the solution in... And Shohan mentioned, in, this is in a YouTube video, it's not Flow Republic, it's actually, let's say, publicly available, that 60% of the exams should be like this, super quick, right? Because you already know solutions. You are having practice in a lot. You have like a year of doing solutions on these things. So you only need to think, let's say, the 40% of the requirements because you don't have time, as I mentioned before. You need to be thinking the less that you can. So I really like that advice. I was really confident going for exam. I was really in a good, in a, let's say, try to build your confidence, try to self-motivate you, try to be on a, on a relaxed state of mind. Because again, if you are convinced you are going to pass, you are going to have more chances. This is like a football match, right? If you are going to play a football match and you say, okay, I'm going to be losing because they are better, you're probably going to be losing, right? You know how it is. Yeah, 100%. And then um, I guess the key moment was uh, the moment you open the email or you get the response to say that you pass. So how did that feel? And, and what did it really mean for you personally to achieve that goal? So for me, it was huge, I will say. I mean, I felt really happy and excited. Uh, I wanted to shout it out loud, uh, but my baby was sleeping. 11.40 p.m. at night it was. I was checking the email like, most of the time, right? So I went upstairs uh, and I woke up my wife. She was also sleeping. And I whispered, my right? And she jumped <laughs> up there and we started jumping in circles together, right? In silence <laughs> because we cannot scream. Uh, yeah, so it was a really fun moment. <laughs> Brilliant. So... And, also, let's say being, for me, was really an achievement and also for the South American region because I was the first South American CTA. It was an honor for me when I realized it. And yeah, hopefully this also will motivate, right, South America uh, and we start having more CTAs from that region. Yeah, 100%. I love finding out how people felt and what happened when they passed because obviously it means so much more than just to you, right? It's your whole family and, and like you said, the region, it's it's an achievement. So um, just after all of that energy and time and effort and ups and downs of the journey to actually get that email must be an incredible feeling. 100%. And also the, your partner, right? Your teammate. I mean, this is a social exam, I will say, because you need to be involved with people. You need to be working together in months. You need to be working in teams. So it's the community also, right? I mean, I try to thank whoever I can because it's a huge, let's say, achievement and every person that at least is going to answer your question in a, in a Slack channel is helping you toward the CDA, right? So the achievement is for all of them also because they are helping you, right? So yeah, that for me was a really enjoyable moment. And how, how do you set goals now? Like obviously you've way back when you passed the platform one, you had your eyes on the CTA. So it's obviously been a long-term goal and and a huge effort. So what would excite you now? Like, How do you climb the next mountain? 
At the moment, I'm working with Claude Gaia on a new business unit. We are trying to make some premium consulting services handled by the CTA, right? So I'm going to try to be pushing that business unit. This is more on the professional level. And in the meantime, personally, let's say I'm trying to focus next year. I'm going to be on, on rest till the rest of the year. And from now on certifications, I'm going to be focusing the B2B solution architect and B2C solution architect, probably next, next year and some other certifications. And also, I, I want to give back to the community, right? As I mentioned, community really helped me and it's helping everyone and every person that is going for the CTA, I, I want to be there at least with a small, let's say, contribution. And I am really creating CTA scenarios. So I already published one of the scenarios. It's Universal Roller Coasters. And I am planning one for the next month. So yeah, trying to make uh, let's some hard scenarios for the people to practice for the CTA. So yeah, and this is my 50 cents for the community. Yeah, nice. And if anyone from the community does want to reach out and um, and ask some advice or uh, or pick your brains, where where should they contact you? They can follow me on LinkedIn for sure. And I mostly active on LinkedIn. So if they want to follow me on LinkedIn and let's say send me an, uh, an inbox message, I can try to reply and for sure we can see how can I help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Been an absolute pleasure to hear your story and congratulations once again. And uh, I'm sure people will take you up on that offer to uh, to help because like you said, it's it's all part of being a CTA. Thanks a lot Glenn, for the space and yeah, hope to see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this week's episode and thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat and if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.